Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Dion Nicholas, co-founder and CEO of Forethought, a company that's focusing on helping empower customer support teams through their innovative AI solution. This is a company that's also raised $27 million in venture capital, recently raised their Series B in 2020. And in this episode, we talk about how this company got started, where Dion's interest in technology came from, the adjustment he had from building products to becoming a CEO, his experience at TechCrunch Disrupt, and how he did so well there. We talk a lot about fundraising and the process he's gone through for Forethought, what his experience has been like, and the differences at each stage all the way through that Series B, as I mentioned. We talk about implementing flywheels and repeatable processes in business, the business model behind Forethought, where the name for their AI, Agatha, came from, how Dion thinks about product development, some of the problems he faces as CEO, how he invests in himself as a founder and why he started working with an executive coach. We talk about self-awareness as well and understanding yourself as a founder and why that's so important. And finally, Dion's experience being a person of color in tech. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Dion Nicholas, co-founder and CEO of Forethought. Dion, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Excited to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. And with, with Forethought, for people who aren't familiar, what are you doing with this company now? Forethought is an AI company. Um, our mission is to use artificial intelligence to make everyone a genius at their job and bring intelligence to the enterprise. Um, starting with our first artificial intelligence, Agatha, which is the AI for customer support. We basically integrate into existing workflows, we'll help solve tickets, triage and route tickets to the right agents, and then assist those agents with the more complex ones. Um, and yeah, long-term vision is to kind of bring intelligence to every single workflow like we're doing in support. I love it. There's going to be so many applications of AI to many different industries. And I love companies that are working in this space. For you then, why did you decide to start this? The, the, the kernel behind Forethought really goes back a long time for me. So background on myself, I'm an engineer by training. I built products and infrastructure companies like Facebook, Dropbox, and Pure Storage. Um, and I also studied machine learning in school, published uh, some papers in, in machine learning. So you know, deeply technical guys, so to speak. The idea behind Forethought goes back to actually high school for me. So when I was in high school, being a math and computers guy, I was really bad at subjects like history. Um, <laughs> so at the time, I built an AI that would read my notes and quiz me on the material. Uh, <laughs> I called it my learning tool. It was like, that's how I got through history class, uh, believe it or not. And that was like my first foray into natural language understanding, um, and since then, I've been obsessed with this idea of how AI can really help anyone become smarter or better at what they do. And for me at the time, it was school. But when you fast forward um, many years, as a new engineer ramping up on projects, you realize that most of the information is either buried inside of people's heads or scattered across data silos. And so I realized I had a similar um, information problem. And I kept coming back to this idea of can AI help me at work? Um, I talked to friends in customer support in specific, but also folks in HR, IT, and realized there were similar issues. And, and so I was like, well, can AI help them? My first ever job outside of tech when, when I was back in school um, was in customer service. I was actually a merchandiser at a, 
at a local pharmacy. And so um, customer service is kind of near and dear to, to my heart. Um, and they're also in tech and in SaaS, the unsung heroes of the enterprise, um, kind of le- leading edge of your product of, of what's going right and what's going wrong in your, your company. And so decided to, to lean in and build this AI for customer support to start. Um, and then, you know, I hope that we can also do the same for kind of every single workflow in the enterprise. Yeah. And then just taking a step back as well for you, why did you decide to even become like a software engineer back, back early, early days? And where does, where did this interest come, you know, for technology for you? So I've been interested in building things since a very, very young age. Um, when I was about six or seven years old, um, one of my older brother's friends taught me how to like make video games using like game maker tools and stuff like that. <laughs> it was actually pretty, so fun. And so I was into like, uh, <laughs> I was, you know, I, I would play the RPGs. I, I would play, you know, your, your Pokemons and whatever, yep. um, final fantasies. And then I got so fascinated. I was like, how do I make these things? And so I started using these tools on my computer to just start making video games, tell stories, things like that. And I got super fascinated into that. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, you know, around maybe 13, 14 was when I actually started coding. I was like, okay, how does the Xbox work? How does the Game Boy work? How do the games actually, how do the game makers themselves work? And so I taught myself C++, which is this coding language and, and the rest is history. So I've just been building stuff, whether that's in the form of code or drag and drop or telling stories since a very, very young age. Um, and that, yeah, that's never, that's never really gone away. <laughs> and, and take me through then. So obviously you love building things and you've been yeah. building things for a, a while at a number of different, you know, top tech companies going from that, working for someone else, building things to you are going to be the founder. You're going to be the CEO of this company. <laughs> take me through how that transition was when you first started Forethought. Yeah, that's a, um, kind of a, a great question. I was, so I didn't. I didn't know that like CEO or founder was a, a job option. So to speak. <laughs> I feel like it wasn't something I like, I'm going to be a CEO one day. I'm going to go, I, I, again, it, it was just that I was, you know, building things at any point in time. I, I, anytime I saw a problem, I would try and fix it through code. Like I said, in high school, when I saw a problem with, you know, the way I was trying to learn, um, I tried to fix it by building this, this AI or this, this learning tool. Um, anytime I saw an interesting idea, I would try and uh, address it through code or tell stories through code. Um, and so when I was an engineer, um, I was, you know, always working on little projects here and there. I, you know, after having worked at companies like Facebook, I tried to build a social network, um, so to speak, <laughs> things like that, um, you know, in and around, this is probably like between 2015 to 2017, I, I just like tinkering, building things, but it wasn't. Like one of the threads I had was that part of it was that I was just super interested in the act of building things for in and of themselves to solve problems. But yeah. it was slowly that I start to realize uh, that I started to realize that I could be building things not just for myself, but for other people. Um, and so in and around, like before starting Forethought, I started taking some of my ideas that I was working on and started like releasing them to other people. So for example, when I, I, I built this kind of like, nowadays TikTok like social network uh, around videos in I think 2016 and I started sharing that with friends and you know other 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 people in my in my kind of in my network um, people kind of in the tech scene and so I just started like sharing more of my work with with other people from there I started meeting folks who were other entrepreneurs folks who were investors um, you know and, and stuff like that 
And that was when I really started to get this pull and learn more about entrepreneurship as a thing. Like, hey, people are actually liking my ideas. Like maybe I can actually start building stuff for other people and actually have an impact on the world. And, and I think something clicked for me late 2016, early 2017, when I realized like, this is what I've been doing my whole life in so many ways, right? Like <laughs> yeah. I've basically been an entrepreneur, but I like, you know, just like building things and solving problems. And so then I started to ask myself the question, like, really, like, what could I do if I, if this was, um, if, if I dedicated my energy, my, my mind and, and to, to making impacts on the world. And, and so that's, that's kind of how it clicked for me. Um, and I'm happy to dive more into, you know, any more of the actual journey. Yeah, yeah. So one, with that then, so understand that you, you had that kind of moment or, or realization over time of, wait a minute, like I pretty much am an entrepreneur. Like mm-hmm. the, I, I build things, this is what I do. And then with Forethought, I know you went to TechCrunch Disrupt. Yeah. How was that experience? Founded Forethought in late 2017. So by this point, I was like, all right, I'm in. I'm going to go start this company, building AI, make everyone a genius at their job. So we, we had raised a pre-seed round uh, from Canine Ventures and also folks uh, like Village Global. Uh, so we started to raise a little bit of money. And then early 2018, we were, you know, just building the product, doing the research around the AI, starting to get our first early like pilot customers. Um, and we applied, we applied for TechCrunch Disrupt. We actually um, made it to the kind of, you know, the battlefield competition, so to speak. And so when we found out that we had made it into uh, TechCrunch Disrupt Battlefield, we had a couple, um, we had a couple values that we wanted to make sure were important. We knew this was going to be huge from like a press perspective, from like a, you know, kind of PR public relations, but we were also pretty disciplined about like knowing that, you know what, the hype and and everything that could come from like a TechCrunch Disrupt is really cool. But the thing that matters is traction. The thing that matters is, are we delivering value to our customers? And so in the like three months leading up to TechCrunch Disrupt in kind of mid, mid 2018, we kind of made the, the the commitment that we were going to go, and before we launched that TechCrunch Disrupt, we were going to go and make sure we had at least five or six pilot customers using our software and willing to put their logo on our slides. And so we were like, TechCrunch Disrupt only matters if we can show that we've delivered value to our customers. And so that three months leading up, we were just heads down on the grind, building our product, um, working with customers, trying to get um, new pilot customers. And, and then when we launched the Disrupt, I think it really paid off because not only did we have the technology, the vision um, for this AI future, but we had um, traction uh, for, for a very early stage company. Um, we had a ton of traction, some great logos, some great early customers. And I think that really ended up being one of the reasons why we ended up winning that competition. Um, and, and I would say the rest is history. Yeah. And going back to that, then you said they had those early customers. How did you get those first customers, Dion? Yeah, um, it was all grind and hustle, working your network when you can. So, I mean, Forethought, we are an enterprise company, or, or I guess like we we sell, we're B two B software, right? B two B SaaS. Yeah. And so it be, it's very different in consumer. Um, it's very different, in, you know, depending on what kind of company. It's it's even different when it's bottoms up, you know, prosumer. Like imagine a, a Dropbox or something like that. Um, right. For us, our we knew our buyer. We understood that we were talking directly to directors of customer support. Um, or customer support operations. And so it was literally a matter of like anyone who knew anyone in customer support, folks we knew in customer support, going to talk to them, show our product. 
um, and work with them. It wasn't just about, hey, we're going to go sell as a customer, but it's like, we really want to listen to you and make sure we're solving the problem for you. So a lot of our earliest customers were design partners with us. They were like, yes, this is a real problem. Can you help us? Um, and, and it was just that, that iterative process of listening to our customers, talking to them, meeting them as meeting as many as we could that eventually became our earliest customers when we actually finally launched. And one of the things you mentioned as well is that million dollar pre-seed round with Village Global Canine as well. You were a product builder, yeah. <laughs> necessarily a, a fundraising sales guy necessarily. So yeah. how did that first fundraise go for you, Dion? One of the things that I'm learning about myself and I think can be interesting for every every founder is like just know know who you are like get to know yourself you got to be learning as much about yourself and growing as much as you can as the company is right and so i realized um that i really enjoy storytelling i really enjoy um talking to people like for an engineer for a product builder i'm pretty extroverted so to speak and so um for me i i like just enjoy telling the forethought story to um, VCs to recruits and things like that. And so that was just like an interesting learning for me is like, as I'm building this company, I realized again, like I didn't think CEO was going to be the the job that I would do when I was a little kid. Um, but going from a product builder, I realized I'm using products to tell stories and to solve problems. And that's what a CEO is doing. The fundraise in specific, again, that was all about, uh, you know, network um, and hustle. And I think a few people kind of stopping to lend a hand. There's a lot of people I'm, I'm super grateful for. Um, some of our earliest investors, including like Sumit Gadri of Original Capital, um, he was one of our f- first angel investors. Before he even angel invested, he learned about what we were talking about, um, what we were building, and and then he made an intro to say Canine Ventures, right? And that's actually how that intro happened. But it's kind of about the network. It's kind of about reaching out. It's kind of about being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, um, and then how can you tell a story and and put a vision together? of the future. And I'm, and it wasn't easy. Like, you know, fundraising is, is kind of a grueling process, so to speak. Um, at the end of the day, even if you're a phenomenal business at that early stage, you're going to hear more no's than yeses, right? Like you're going to hear more people for whatever reason um, who don't either understand the technology or don't understand your competitive landscape or don't believe in whatever it is. And you, you got to get really comfortable with uh, with rejection, whether that's in sales or recruiting or fundraising, and you got to get um, conviction about your own vision. And so, yeah, it wasn't easy, but um, really excited that it kind of worked out. And and investors self-select in the sense that like the people who get your vision are the ones who are going to invest, and they're by definition the ones you want along for the ride. Yeah, and just curious, real quick, how long roughly did that first fundraise take for you? Let's see. So we we closed our initial fundraise like uh, late 2017, kind of early 2018. Quite frankly, it took like three to six months, maybe six months. Um, it's kind of funny. Like in there, were, let's put it this way: there's a lot I did wrong when fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about tell me about that. I think it'd be helpful for others for other founders. Well, there's a like for example, you shouldn't you should be talking to the right type of investor for your type of business, for your stage of business. Everyone yeah. hears the flashy names and like whatever. Like, I mean, we raised uh, money from NEA in our Series A. Um, NEA is one of the you know top venture capital firms in the world. Um, yeah. When you when you go on Crunchbase and you look them up and you say like, and it says early stage venture capital firm, early stage in VC means Series A and B. 
you know it, it's very few like very specific investors look for seed and pre-seed right and so even just understanding the landscape and you go and you talk to an investor like my business is great they're like we don't even invest in your series. Like, <laughs> why you, you know what i mean it's like great yeah. like, we'll get to know you and that actually works out really well um long term but it's just like there's a lot of these like rules of engagement you don't realize um, happen in fundraising. Like one, talk to the right investors for the right stage. Two, like things that you think matter don't matter to them and vice versa. Like, for example, how well you can tell the story and the vision actually matters just as much as, hey, I think this idea is, you know, good from a textbook perspective. Like you think from an engineer like, oh, yeah, if I can make this product do this thing, of course, people are going to like it. It's like, nah, it's that's not how it works. <laughs> um, anyway, and so there's just a lot that I learned throughout the process of just like t- making sure you're talking to the right people, telling the right story um, that, yeah, na- nowadays I, I try to whenever I have friends who are starting companies or people who you know come to me for advice, like the, the advice I end up giving is like very different, very counterintuitive than you would think going in. Yeah, and with that too. I mean, the advice is all depending on the situation, depends exactly. on different companies and stuff. And just to kind of take things further, then um, just ride this this fundraising train. <laughs> Going from there, though, you obviously with TechCrunch Disrupt, a little bit of cash there, but then the nine million dollar Series A from NEA. Sure. How did that differ? How did you approach that? Because I know you know founders are going to move forward in their business. Also, wonder about this. How did the Series A go for you, Dion? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are. The Series A is is is, is like very like they're actually, it's actually fundamentally different than a C, for example. And I, I learned this in my you know <laughs> raising a C <laughs> different. Um, at the Series A stage, what investors are looking for is is uh, signs of product market fit and signs of what could be a a business. So like at the seed stage, what they're looking for is vision and team. Um, and and that's a fundamentally different thing than like yes you have to have vision and team at the Series A but you now got to start seeing signs of product market fit you got to start seeing signs that this is going to become a business uh, repeat you know revenue is being generated stuff like that um, so those are the biggest differences and the other is the process with seed stage investors you're typically um, you know single GP um, firms right you're you're kind of talking to one person to to raise that round at, at any investment fund but at a Series A it's these big funds, you know, top tier funds like an NEA, you're going to do f- like three to four multiple rounds of, of pitching. You pitch to maybe, um, you know, an initial an analyst or an associate at the beginning, then you're pitching to uh, one or two partners. And then eventually you're getting to an entire partnership meeting on a Monday, usually where you're doing the pitch on the, to the entire partnership. And so at each stage, you actually got to be doing different things, different diligence. And you're really running a process at that point. Also, because um, by, at, by this point, you can only really have one. Um, like you, you're going to find a lead investor, and they're going to try to do most of the round, and then you can have a few people follow in. Um, yeah. But in the seed, it can be a little bit more collaborative. Like you can get a whole bunch of people to invest around the same amount, and so there's there's a few different dynamics there. It becomes a little bit more of like a competitive fundraise rather than like a collaborative one on the VC side. And again, there's like all of this stuff you got to think about. But um, I think that was those are some of the big differences. And then just to take it home to the last one, then with a Series B, anything uh, much different from B to from A to B? Our Series B was kind of uh, is kind of crazy. I think at the B level, it's it starts to become all about um, you're still about you know the founding team, the story, and um, and traction, but it starts to become about like okay, the, what are your metrics? You you've been in business for two to three years. What is that story and what is that um, trajectory looking like? Like, are you starting to see that hockey stick growth um, as a company? Um, and for us, you know, we, we were really fortunate with our series B, 
a lot of things happened as we scaled the company. I'm happy to dive in a little bit more. But as we've been scaling the company, we went from, you know, we were about nine people when we closed our Series A to uh, doubled up to around 18 people early 2020. And we're now 48 people. So we've been kind of like scaling uh, pretty rapidly. Um, <laughs> amazing kind of customer logos and things like that. And so the, the traction is starting to be there. And then they, they asked, the, the question starts to become, are you building a repeatable business? Do you have uh, a humming go-to-market motion, a sales motion? Do you, you know, do you have all these things that are starting to actually become repeatable? Um, but yeah, we were pretty fortunate, I think, with with Forethought as we've been building out this team. Um, we NEA actually led our Series B, um, so they they doubled down, which is probably one of the you know strongest quote unquote signals uh, a VC yeah. can give. Um, but then we also got amazing um, angel investors and other funds to kind of participate. So we raised from um, Operator Collective, Ashton Kutcher and Gaio Series Sound Ventures, um, Ryan Smith, the CEO of Qualtrics. And even folks like P. Diddy and LL Cool J um, participated in this round as angel investors. So a really, really diverse, strong crowd of people backing Forethought and hopefully, you know, continuing to help us on this journey to, to making it a massive AI company. On that note as well, just a, a little bit deeper on that. So obviously having NEA, you know, double down, invest again is great. And then how did you think about though, which other investors you want to bring on board? Because I mean, a lot of times if it's an oversubscribe round, I mean, you're yeah. obviously you're saying no potentially to some people. <laughs> uh, how did you how did you think through that then, Dion? Our round was, was pretty oversubscribed. Um, and so we had to be very diligent. Like the way I see investors is, as I said at the beginning, like investors self-select, but also the founders got to self-select as well. Um, and it becomes increasingly so, you know, later stage. Um, but for any founder, even in the earliest stages, you have that leverage to self-select. Um, even when it feels like you're hearing like 30 no's or whatever, um, <laughs> you should only take on investors who, who are values aligned. And so that was always first and foremost for me. And it's, you know, as, as our company is getting bigger, it's becoming that. And so values aligned means, hey, they're thinking through what our company is today. Uh, they're, they're completely on board with that. Also, where we want to go in, in two, three, five, 10, 20 years, like they believe in the mission, the vision and, and want to back us. Um, but also, like, I like to work with just really, you know, down to earth, good people um, who, you know, aren't, you know, they'll get on a phone, they'll get on the phone with you, they'll chat with you, they'll help you, they'll give you advice. Um, and then thinking about who's the most value add in terms of um, kind of a, a diversity of perspective is how I like to think about it, right? Because, you know, we are, for example, I'm a product person, um, so to speak, but where are my weaknesses? Where are the team's weaknesses, right? And so if we're going to be hiring, you know, so-and-so executives in the future, which investors can we bring on board now who have that expertise and have that network? Um, or for example, as we're building out, we're turning Forethought into a brand that not only do businesses know, but, but consumers know, anyone who touches customer support or touches a customer who is a customer will in, in some future know who Forethought is. So for example, with the, the, the folks in kind of the entertainment space, they are brand experts. They've built businesses, they've built brands from the ground up from day one. And so like that's their value add, one of their unique value adds. And I think obviously there's many, but that's how I think about bringing on the cap table is like, how do we, how do we give ourselves superpowers and unfair advantages over time um, by taking on people who are not just investing money, but they're, they're putting their time and energy and soul into like helping the business um, grow. And so that's kind of how we think about who to take on. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you sharing that perspective uh, for us as well. And you mentioned kind of as you're growing, especially you're getting into that Series B, which you already have, you know, you think about repeatable processes and things that scale. On that note then, I mean, take me through then 
your thoughts or what you're doing around around that around repeatable processes around you know implementing like flywheels of sorts how do you think through that with with forethought yeah i think the the first thing that comes to mind for me and i think the first thing that is most important for companies is is your people processes so how do you recruit retain the best talent um, and how do you put in process so that everyone continues to grow at the scale and at the rate the company is so that the company can continue to, you know, 3x, 4x, whatever the, the, the <laughs> rate of growth is every single year. The way you do that is with people. And so people processes, things like, all right, first and foremost, the culture, like what is the value? What are the values? What is the culture of the company? Like, who are we as forethinkers? That's, that's our name. Who are we as forethinkers? Um, and and what kind of person do we hire, right? And it's not about, it's actually not about culture fit. Um, I, I've heard the term culture fit thrown around, but I, I actually don't like that term because it can often be an exclusive, uh, exclusionary term. I think about values fit and culture add. And again, the same way we think about our investors in the cap table is how we think about our team. Like how do we put together the values that we know um, will help us scale? Like the kinds of um, qualities we look for in a fellow forethinker and then in terms of culture, we, we're looking for culture ad. We're looking for people who can bring new perspectives, new skill sets to the table. Once you have those set up, then it's, it's you know, empowering them, thinking about things like, you know, um, monthly, quarterly planning processes, OKRs, objectives and key results, things like that to kind of put in place so that everyone is rowing in the same direction and everyone is empowered to kind of do their, their best job and, and quote unquote be geniuses at their job every single day. I think those are the first and, and most important things. Um, and then and then the rest is kind of you, you grow with it, right? So putting in processes around go-to-market sales, um, every single team kind of slowly grows grows as the company grows, right? How do you do product and engineering, sprint planning, so on and so forth. But happy to dive into any more, but I think it really starts with the people. Yeah, I think the people is, I mean, people is everything, especially <laughs> as you start early on, it's like literally the, the people are the only thing you have and then you build things from there. And then obviously as it scales and talking to people who have, you know, scaled their businesses so far and you get to, like you said, you start when you're raising initially early on, you're nine people, and like 48 people. It's a much different environment, I imagine as well. Yeah. And one thing I haven't really talked to, we haven't talked a ton about yet is just the business model. Obviously you mentioned SaaS company, but mm -hmm. take me through the business model, how you've thought about pricing, uh, you don't necessarily say the pricing, but I'd be curious to hear more about that because that's something that a lot of companies don't get right or don't put enough thought into. Um, I'd be curious as to what you have uh, thoughts around that. One of our values is um, put customers first here at Forthon. And when you when you hear about the kind of origin story of when we were just building, getting our first customers, um, when you think about pricing, that also holds true. We start by thinking about what is the value that we're bringing, right? And then what does the customer's value get out of that? And then from there, actually a lot of things can follow. So at Forthought, we build you know, SaaS software, we integrate with your Zendesk, your Salesforce Service Cloud, your ServiceNow, et cetera. Um, and then our, our AI, Agatha, can help in, in quite a few different ways. And each of these is actually packaged as a product. So we have Agatha Solve, which can automatically reply to questions, the simplest questions. We have Agatha Triage, which can route and triage tickets to the right agents, as well as help figure out what are the most common issues going on in your, your support team? And then we have Agatha Assist, which helps the actual agents respond more quickly to the more complex questions using search tools, suggested answers, things like that. And so we've actually thought a lot about how we package and price our, our individual products. Um, and so like, for example, with Solve, uh, we think about things um, kind of on a ticket volume basis. So like how much are we actually 
um, solving for your customers. And again, that's the value. Like, how can we ensure that your agents um, aren't having to deal with the simplest problems so that they can focus on the, the, the more complex problems and, and focus on delighting their customers? And so once you focus on that, you try to align value. So maybe it ends up being, you know, in our case, say um, a monthly subscription uh, with, with kind of volume or, or kind of per ticket volume um, restrictions on it. But again, you align your pricing to the unit of value that you're giving um, and, and always think about what is the customer getting. Um, you first create value and then pricing is actually how you capture value. Um, but it always starts with the value to the customer. <laughs> One thing I had to ask about the name Agatha, where does that come from? <laughs> <laughs> um, we're huge uh, sci-fi nerds at Bullpot. Um So if you've ever seen uh, Minority Report, the movie or read the book, um, forethought, like we have this theme about, you know, kind of think of the future, but in, in minority report, there's a, a, a woman called Agatha who can actually see the future. And she ends up generating these minority reports, which is often the, the, an outcome that can happen that people hadn't previously predicted. Um, and so we, we like the idea of like a precog, uh, named Agatha and, and the sci-fi reference. So that's actually where the, the AI name came from. <laughs> I love it. I had to ask. I was even like doing research. I was like, I wonder where they came up with this. From. I mean, it's like your big, you know. Do you think of like like Siri, for instance? You know, like yeah. you wonder where these things come from always. And um, one thing you mentioned with that is you said solve triage assist a number of different things here with the product, the product itself here. Yeah, there's. I'm sure, like you mentioned it early on, like a lot of different applications, things you could do. How do you prioritize the timing of when you release which one, which one you work on? I, I would love to hear more about how you think about the product in terms of like the roadmap. So as you scale as a company, again, as we talked about processes and things like that, um, as you scale as a company, you start to move away from lean startup methodology into more like mature product processes, right? So in the early days, it's all about making sure you're truly solving a problem for your customer because the, the biggest failure mode is not solve is, hey, we're great engineers, we're great AI people, we're going to go and build this artificial intelligence. And then it ends up it doesn't do what the customers want. And there's no value, <laughs> right? Like you don't yep. have a research lab, right? And so early, early days, um, you're in kind of a lean startup mode, let's say you're a seed stage, you know, as we talked about the stages of a company like pre-seed seed, series A, series B, seed stage companies, you really got to be in that lean mode. Um, Nowadays, you know, we went from, I would say, being in that, hey, listen to your customers, um, uh, kind of lean methodology, build MVPs, et cetera, to, hey, we're actually building true products and true platforms here. So how does Agatha, which in the early days was simply just a product, how does this become over time a platform that can solve many problems for our customers? And so, you know, as the team scales kind of on product and engineering, we start to think through what is our roadmap? And, you know, originally that's okay. What are we thinking through the next long-term, you know, three to five years, but then you break that down into what are we doing in the next six months, one year, two year. And so we always have a roadmap and that's very informed by our customers, right? So sales, marketing, engineering, product, we're again, again, we're putting customers first there to always be informed about our customers, but we have this long-term roadmap um, that, that we, you know, the kind of vision we're moving towards. Um, and then we now lean startup methodology and listening to your customers is, is kind of engraved in the DNA and that's how we, we listen well. Um, but then as, as the company is getting bigger and as we've seen enough use cases and examples, we can start to kind of call your shot, um, so to speak by building products more for the long term over time. Today in the business year, a few years in, you've raised a fair amount of capital. What are the biggest challenges that you personally as CEO are facing? 
Well, one, I mean, we are also in in the middle of a, a pandemic. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that situation. Yeah, yes. you know, don't don't forget about that one. But uh, <laughs> so, like, and you have a toddler too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got, a, I got I got two. I got a three year old and a one year old. So you know, we, we can go there. But um, no, I think um, continuing. Well, the first is is that that scaling of culture, scaling of people. Um, like doing that as you're you're tripling in, in terms of headcount is is pretty is pretty crazy. And then doing that while everyone is remote, there you're in the middle of a, a pandemic. You realize that work from home, you end up more productive in so many ways because you're just like back to back meetings. But um, you can almost get lost in it. And so, how do you make sure people? are you know making sure they're they're getting their needs met right like in terms of in terms of health physical emotional mental etc and stuff like that and so that's been probably the top thing on on my mind is like how do we continue to create a culture in a company where people um you know are, are still a part of one team one company one culture even though there's all of these changing all of these changes happening throughout the world throughout the company um and so on um, and then I think for me, the, the, the personal side is I continue to learn and to grow every single day. And, and as I mentioned, like learning about myself and my own leadership style, learning about my executive team, learning about, um, you know, whether it's functional, Hey, you know, we're setting up our go-to-market for the first time, or we're setting up our marketing team for the first time and so on and so forth between functional and kind of emotional maturity and growth. I think like that's both the most exciting, but also the most challenging is like, as a CEO, I continue to grow. And I think um, our team continues to grow. Um, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that's just a really fun part about this entrepreneurial journey. Uh, on that same note, then, Dion, in terms of investing kind of in yourself and learning and growth, what's been most helpful? I've heard a number of different things from different founders. Some have uh, coaches, some are journalers, some are doing other things. Like for you personally, what has been most helpful to help you learn and grow? First and foremost, I think um, learning from the people who are either in it with you or like one, two, three steps ahead um, can work wonders, right? So having advisors. Yeah. Having whether it's investors, angel investors who are you know CEOs or investors or whatever, um, and then having other founders kind of in your network, like for me, like you know Series B, Series A, Series C type founders, um, just that can all always bring back the humanity because you know you're like you're not alone. Even if you're in a completely different industry, you're working through some of the similar problems. Like any company, when you between twenty and fifty people, or you're going to have to start <laughs> figuring out. This is your first time you're adding management. This is your first time you know scaling things in a certain way. First time having values and culture um, become top of mind. And so there's a lot of I think uh, kind of beauty in the fact that like you can have other people who are going through similar things. Um, second, yeah, I definitely I started working with an executive coach um, in the past year, and that's worked wonders. Um, but more so about like again like your own emotional and um, I think personal growth, right? So learning my own leadership style, um, learning about things that, let's say I previously thought were weaknesses, but are actually strengths, right? Like I'm a very, um, you know, collaborative person, for example. And as a leader, you think, um, there are certain attributes that make a CEO, a CEO, right. And, and, um, I, I didn't think my kind of collaborative personality was one of those things, but I'm learning, for example, that that enables, for example, having a more diverse team, having uh, more people who are empowered to be, to kind of run with it. Um, and so I've seen that at Forethought, we end up hiring like some amazing people and giving them the trust uh, to kind of run with things and the trust to kind of be their best version. And for me, that comes a little bit more naturally, but other like 
Um, but other qualities, for example, that I thought were more associated with CEOs um, would have led to kind of different outcomes, right? Like, uh, you know, let's say I was, um, let's say I was more, uh, l less collaborative, uh, more, you know, focused on being in control of things um, at all times, then I would end up, you know, giving my teammates less trust and stuff like that. And so I'm really learning how like, my own qualities, strengths, weaknesses, whatever it is, become who I am as a person and who I am as a leader. And I think that's like really worked wonders. Um, and then the last thing is constantly reading, constantly up leveling. I would say um, when we were traveling to work, I would I would read on the train. I would have a half hour commute to work and from work, and then I would just like exclusively read. So I'd like burn through books, whether it's on <laughs> management, whether it's on um, coding or product management or go to market, sales, negotiating, like all of it. Anytime I didn't know something, I would go and read about it from, from the best and then constantly have that growth mindset. Um, so I don't know. That was kind of a long-winded answer. That. <laughs> no, I have, I have some follow-up. So on the book side of things, any particular ones that stand out for you? There, there's a bunch. Like I read everything from like, you know, the, the CEO stuff, like in the early days, for example, product, like lean, lean startup was like a, a, a book that I was like, okay, I read that. I'm like, I get it now. I know how to like do that thing. Hard thing about hard things. Like every time you read it, as your company gets bigger, you realize how much more relevant it is. Um, ben Horowitz's <laughs> book. Um, and then, but then I also read things like um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. He's an economist, but it's about like decision making and uh, mental heuristics. Um, so it, it like it go it varies. When I was trying to learn how to sell, I read um, um, Never Split the Difference to learn how to negotiate. <laughs> like literally. Yep everything um every once in a while i'm reading like physics books like but you know not really <laughs> but, but just more interesting like keeping my mind sharp and stuff like that and thinking about how things work so it, it varies uh depending on like what's yeah. the, the thing i'm trying to learn it's funny because uh i could i like ask the i would love i love asking the question to people because uh, i personally just want to know my next book as well but also for people who are big readers it's just funny to ask because like there's so many ways to go with the mm -hmm. response mm -hmm. of like well i read you mentioned reading on the train before like yeah if you read a lot you're gonna go through a ton of books like how do you suggest a book um and there's so many good ones out there and i think i had a number of people recently recommend never split the difference as yeah. being a really, really great one in terms of negotiating and one of the things that I'm I'm wondering about is with this startup, you have you have the startup obviously, which has been doing well, been growing fast, et cetera. You have two young kids as well. How do you recharge? I mean, spending time, like I mentioned earlier, I'm an extrovert. So kind of spending time with the people um, closest to me, uh, spending time with my family, my kids, like that's always fun. Um, back when this was a thing, like I would try to, you know, get out, play some basketball a bit. Um, and I'm, I'm just like a really curious person also. So sometimes like reading is actually just fun, like reading about, um, math or reading about artificial intelligence or reading about physics or whatever. Um, like I actually love this stuff. And so sometimes it's kicking up, uh, sitting and, and reading a good book or, or listening to a podcast, um, is, is fun for me. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. Just like spending time with the, you know, with good people. And um, spending time just being curious and, and just uh, having fun with that. And, and on a kind of similar note with just uh, your journey so far, I I'm wondering with what, how far you've come in the last you know, three plus years here with this company. And you obviously know building products. You've built products for a long time, but you weren't a founder before. Is it what you expected being an entrepreneur? <laughs> um, that's a good question. 
I don't know. I don't know. Like, because again, like, I don't know what I expected. Like early on, I didn't think being a founder was a thing. Like, what does that even mean, right? And so, um, but I think the most unexpected thing and the, the most exciting part is that that personal journey you go on. Like I did not, I cannot, you know, state enough um, how much as a CEO, as a founder, like understanding yourself, your strengths, the t- your team strengths, becomes like a superpower in and of itself and it will enable you to grow and scale with the company. Like I didn't realize that I would love recruiting and I would love um, doing sales and I would love storytelling and fundraising and pitching because my whole life I'd been an engineer and a builder. And so while I was doing this kind of storytelling stuff, I'd been doing it through code. And so even when I was like fundraising, people were like, hey, Dion, you're an engineer. Like, how are you going to be able to go and do recruiting or enterprise sales? And like the like when I was fundraising, that became a cr- like a crutch. Like that became something where like, if somebody would say that to me in a pitch, I'd be like, oh no, like maybe, maybe they're right, <laughs> right? Um, and so part of that is like learning really who you are as a person and not letting other people define you, um, I think is just super important. And everyone's gonna have their own path. Every Like everything is context specific, but like getting into that mode of like, no, like this is what I'm good at, or this is who I am as a person, will enable you to be a better founder CEO. Cause then the things you're truly not good at, you go and you can be, you can go and hire for um, and build the best team in the world to go in, in order to do that. And so, um, and the things you are uniquely suited in the world to do, you can spend your energy on and your company will be better off for it. So I think that's just like been the most surprising realization. <laughs> yeah, what, what, a, what a journey it's been so far. And and one of the last things I'm just wondering about is as being a person of color in tech, obviously there's a yeah. Not a ton necessarily. How has that experience been for you? I just would love to hear more about how that's been, how you've navigated that. Maybe if it hasn't been an issue at all, I would love to hear more. It's been interesting, right? Like, I mean, there's the you know, the the defaults that that people you, you would take for granted, right? Like when you're in a room full of people and you're like the one person of color in the room and you're not sure, hey, do I belong here? That sort of thing. Like there's a yeah. lot that goes on internally and emotionally right when that that is the case i think of late um it's it's been again a part of my understanding my own um relationship with myself and and the world right and so i'll use that as an example where um with this fundraise for example being one of the few black tech entrepreneurs who've gotten to a series b in 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 enterprise tech um Part of me was like, hey, I want you, I want you world to see me as a great tech entrepreneur, a great artificial intelligence practitioner, a great CEO. And also part of me is like, hey, and I am a black person making waves in technology, right? Like that is not to be understated. And so it's been, it's been an interesting journey of like, you know, kind of the emotional side of like, being, you know, one of the few people in the room of, who look a certain way, being one of the few people at the table who look a certain way, or even not getting to the table because possibly you look a certain way, um, to as as I've been become more comfortable owning my own story and who I am, now, I'm, like I said, the things I thought were, were weaknesses or things that could potentially hold you back, the flip side of every coin is a strength and a story, right? And so for me, being able to tell this story um, being one of the few black uh, tech entrepreneurs, being able to say to 
other folks who maybe didn't have um, role models in tech, didn't know that tech was an option. Like I didn't know, you know, being a CEO was an option. <laughs> they're going to see these stories like Forethought. They're going to see, you know, the icons of our generation, like the LL Cool J's and the P. Diddy, uh, P. Diddy's like investing in tech, investing in artificial intelligence, investing in a black founder. And they're going to say, I can go and do that. And then all of a sudden you see like the next wave of entrepreneurs look completely different than the previous, right? The future Mark Zuckerberg's and the Bill Gates are going to look completely different. And I think there's so much power to that. And I feel inspired and honored to be a part of um, that story or, or to play any part in that story. And so, again, I think it all just it boils down to perspective. And I think everything I like to think about symmetries in, in math. I like to think about dualities, but everything has kind of two sides to every coin and some things that in many ways were, were struggles for me because of uh, being black um, are now yeah. ways that I can actually be be empowered and help future generations. And so I think it is all about perspective at the end of the day. Yeah. And there uh, it's obviously all about perspective. And just, I, I've been fortunate to have a number of incredible black founders in the show and some that are coming up as well would be like Chris Bennett of, of Wonder School and yeah. Ruben Harris of, of Career Karma, Man Abu Zid, Incredible Health. I mean, there's just, um, obviously there's a number of them as well, but it, even to that point of like you mentioned that being at the table I and mean, getting a spot at the table, it's like, it's one of those things where you you have to, unfortunately, as a person of color, you have to think about even, did I not get this invite because yeah, of, you know, which is such another just burden on you. But yeah. obviously, you've been able to be successful with forethought so far, and seems like obviously moving forward as well, which is great to see as a, a great example uh, for other people. And, and where can people go to learn more about forethought and connect with you as well, Dion? Yeah, absolutely. So um, first things first, if you're a, a support leader, um, go to forethought.ai, request a demo of Agatha. Um, you can connect with me personally on Twitter. Um, I am at dojiboy9, D-O-J-I-B-O-Y-9. I can tell you the story of my Twitter handle at some point, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, connect with me on Twitter or follow us at, at forethought.ai. Dion, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Uh, thank you, Justin. Really glad to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.